Well, welcome in everybody. In just a few minutes, I'm going to be joined by G. Joe, and we're going to be talking tonight about how our generation needs to take seriously the task of recovering the gospel. And I hope our conversation is something that challenges you, but also helps you in your faith. If we have not met before, my name is Andrew Stroud, and I'm the, the project lead here at Into the Harvest. And our mission, our goal, the reason that we're doing everything that we're doing is we want to help ordinary believers, ordinary men and women who are wanting to follow Jesus. We're wanting to help you learn how to take the message and mission of Jesus out of the building, out of the sacred spaces, and into the everyday places of life. And I think every generation needs to take that task seriously, that we want to live out and share our faith in ways that are relevant in the marketplace that we find ourselves in. So that's really what Into the Harvest is all about. And today's conversation is going to be right in line with that mission and that objective that we have. Uh, today's conversation is actually part of a four-part series that we're doing this month in the month of February that's all about uh, living the ancient faith in modern times. I'm convinced this series is something that we need because each of us needs to learn how to renew the faith in our personal lives, and our generation needs to learn how to renew the faith for, for our time. Tonight's conversation recovering the gospel is absolutely one of those things that's essential if we're going to live out this ancient faith in a, a modern time. Gijo and I met about a month ago. Uh, he lives here in San Diego. He and his family are involved in uh, making disciples here in San Diego. I may be a new face for them, and I wanted to give a little bit of an introduction to myself and the work that we're doing here with Into the Harvest, but I think you're going to be a new face for a lot of those who are watching tonight. So uh, you and I are both here in, in the San Diego area. You work with an organization called Campus Outreach. And as I we do. kind of shared our, our own personal histories, we found that our paths really crossed or, or moved in very close connection, even though we just now met each other this year. But tell us a little bit yes. more about uh, you, your family, and your work with Campus sure. Outreach. Well, first, thanks so much for having me. It's been fun to meet a fellow, just a co-laborer here in San Diego. It probably goes without saying that we live in the most beautiful city in the world. And for those who are outside of San Diego, it's just so you know, we have experienced more rain in the last month, month and a half than ever before. So Andrew and I are probably more depressed than we usually are <laughs> in uh, this uh, season of life. So I, my wife and I moved to San Diego in 2012, we brought a team of uh, college ministers from the East Coast, uh, South Carolina in particular, to Southern California. So it was quite a transition. And so in, a, in essence, I, I feel like I have the most amazing job in the world because I get to connect people, one to God, to each other, but then also to the world that we live in. And I get to do this with an amazing team that I've known for many, many years when many of them were not even walking with God. And through God's grace and kindness, he saved them and then he brought them into the fold of a community that was able to help disciple and train them and then sent us on mission together. You know, lead a team of folks that are primarily on the college campus and helping students learn more about Jesus and then grow in the gospel. And really, in a sense, it's a leadership development pipeline, moving all the way from on one end being lost folks that are looking for life and looking for love in all the wrong places. And the other end, I get to work with uh, real kingdom leaders, both in the city and, and then through our church. Somewhere in the middle of that, God allows us to have an impact on some, the next generation. My wife is 
an amazing writer, and she gets to write for some of these better-known websites, the Gospel Coalition being one. Her first name is Amy, spelled A-I-M-E-E, and she is with our boys at soccer practice, and you might hear them coming in at some point, but for right now, I have three little crazy boys, and 11, 10, and 5, and you know, when you add a, a boy to the family, you don't add testosterone, you really do multiply it, so it is quite uh, crazy around these parts, and we have a fourth uh, male in the house, and that's our dog, Mater, M-A-T-E-R, named after Tell Mater. That's a little bit of us. I haven't had a chance to meet Amy in person yet, but uh, I did get to hear her. She and you uh, shared and listened to an audio. Actually, I'm going to include that in the show notes for this particular video because I think uh, anyone who's interested in this topic of recovering the gospel, that's a good supplementary um, audio that I think people should check out. But she seems like uh, an amazing person, and uh, we'll have to do something with with Amy later this uh, year with oh, Into absolutely. the Harvest. A little bit of a background just from from how we connected I've got uh, a friend who is over in Naples, Italy, and he had come across an article that you had written uh, with the Gospel Coalition, and it actually coincided with a conversation he and I had been having. And so he sends me this link to an article, and I had the chance to, to read it, and I thought it was just some great stuff, a lot of which we'll, we'll dive into here. Uh, momentarily. Right. But uh, at the bottom of it, I actually saw that um, you were living here in San Diego. So I thought, man, I've got to reach out to this guy and uh, maybe grab coffee with him. So we did that. And then this series, this series of Facebook Lives that we're doing on living the ancient faith in modern times, we knew that we were going to have four conversations. And I thought you would be a, a great conversation partner for this particular episode of Recovering the Gospel. Um, but just a quick Hope recap, so. we did one a couple weeks back on refocusing your discipleship with Cecil Bean. Um, mm. That one's actually up on the podcast now if people want to check that out. And then last week we had a conversation with uh, Al Engler on reforming your understanding of church. Tonight mm. we're talking about recovering the gospel. And next week we'll be talking about rediscovering the mission of Jesus. Because I think these are four conversations that if we can really grapple with, they're going to help us live out this ancient faith in modern times. But for tonight's conversation, you and I talked a little bit last week, G. Joe, and I think the way that we'll try to uh, follow a basic framework here is first just talk a little bit about what do we mean by recovering the gospel? Why is that even important? And then we also will talk a little bit about how to share the gospel more effectively in our modern time, that there are some shifts that I think you and Amy do a great job of articulating. We're going to talk about a few of those. Hopefully we'll have time to wrap up with helping people respond to the gospel, because I think that too is something that maybe we're, a lot of believers are a little bit foggy about. Okay, and perfect. then we'll have some time for some, some Q&A. So when you think okay. about recovering the gospel, you know, why is that even important? Some people might even find that a little, they might even be a little apprehensive about that, as if the gospel was something that could be lost. What are your thoughts on that? It's a great question. I do think that the gospel is first and foremost news. It's good news. It's good news given by God. And it is it is news of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And, and while many of us begin 
we always hear the gospel in the context of a culture and in the context of a language and in the context of a people group that God has come around. And so I think that there are, whether we realize it or not, cultural dynamics that are attached to our understanding of the gospel. My wife and I grew up throughout the United States, but we really grew in our faith in the Southeast, as I shared earlier. And it's been a beautiful opportunity to kind of begin to see some of the, the things that we would attach to gospel in gospel living and gospel understanding that were enculturated, that were encapsulated by the gospel. And so you begin to see some of that even in Galatians 1, when Paul speaks about the gospel being deviated from in, in the form of circumcision that you must add on to that. You also see that um, Paul continues to preach the gospel, even in 1 Corinthians 15, when he says, For I deliver to you of what is first importance, what I also received, that, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So you begin to see that Paul's constantly kind of going back to the gospel. He's constantly preaching the good news, the good news, the good news. And so there is that propensity in each one of us, a proclivity to kind of see the cultural dynamics and the outworking, not just of what the gospel is, but maybe even how it's lived out. And that creeps into becoming the gospel for some of us, for many of us. Yeah, absolutely. I love, I love both those passages that you referenced. Uh, Galatians chapter 1, you know, many yes. scholars believe that Galatians may be the oldest New Testament uh, writing that we have. And yet here we are, many folks date it. Many scholars would date that about two decades after the resurrection. And here's Paul writing to the, the church in Galatia, in the region of Galatia. And right out of the gate in verses uh, chapter one, verses six through eight, he says, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away uh, from him who called you for by his grace for a different gospel. And then he goes on to talk about that there were those who were distorting the gospel. And finally, he talks about a contrary gospel. And so those three adjectives, a different gospel, a distorted gospel, and then finally, a contrary gospel. Within 20 years, the church was already having to contend earnestly for the faith, that the gospel is not something that we can just assume. And right. if we don't really struggle to know what is this message, then it's it's inevitable that distortions or differences begin to come in and come to play. You know, one thought that I had as I was just thinking about our conversation is that for most of us who are from a Protestant stream, mm -hmm. which is probably most of those who are watching the video, and mm -hmm. probably from an evangelical uh, stream of Christianity, I don't think it's too much to say that we, when it comes to the gospel, we're living off the fumes of the Reformation. You had great figures like Luther and Calvin, and they were really wrestling to recover the gospel four or 500 years ago. And it's almost like that's software, we're still living off of the fumes of that, where we yes, think we've yes. got the gospel figured out. And then I think what we're going to get into here in a little bit and how we communicate the gospel, I think we go back to the legacy of Billy Graham, Charles Finney, George Whitfield, or Whitefield, and we're trying to deliver the message the way that those guys did for their mm. generation, which, you know, Billy Graham was the most recent one of those, and, you know, you're talking 50 to 75 years. So with Recovering the Gospel, we're really talking about updating our software and our hardware, that we can't just take what other people have wrestled with and figured out and transpose it onto to our day, our culture, uh, our time. You know, we have to really wrestle and recover the gospel for our time. Uh, when you think about 
about, thought that I have. Yeah. You know, there's cultural dynamics that kind of uh, cause us to deviate from the gospel, but there's also something inside of us, in each of us, that in a sense, the law is written on our hearts. There's something in us that really wants to do before understanding what's been done. And maybe another way of saying it, and a lot of theologians say it this way, that there's the imperatives and the indicatives, meaning maybe a simpler way of saying it is the fruit and the root of the gospel, that the the root of the gospel is what Christ has done. The fruit of it is how we respond you know, and and how we, uh, what then happens inside of us and out and through us when the gospel is planted inside of us. And so I do think it's not just a recovery. Well, the good news of the gospel is the one who saves us is the, is also the one who stays us. You know, like he keeps us and he returns us back. And I think he was so gracious to do that to Peter in the in the book of Galatians. Um, but it is through those who proclaim the gospel. And so there is a power of the gospel. That's why it's it's not just, how do I say this? Romans, when it says that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes that there's a power source. It's not just a, uh, we say often to our students and staff, it's not just the doorway into a relationship with God, but it's the pathway that we walk on. It is a power source from God, the good news in us and through us that's rooted in us by him and that through that fruit bears. And so I do think there's cultural dynamics, but there's also kind of a constant internal dynamic that plays inside Mm. of us. And so that just thought hit me as we were sharing. Yeah, I agree. The gospel is something that comes from God, something that's revealed to us. And just the the verse that you referenced there from Romans 1 is that it is the power of God for salvation. But it comes from God. Later in Romans, Paul says that how can we believe unless we hear? And how can we hear unless someone speaks? And how can someone speak unless they're sent? So he he walks it all the way back that the gospel message is really something that we receive from God through his messengers Mm -hmm. that are sent that way. And we ourselves become messengers. And so I want to loop back to something you said earlier when you said the gospel is news. And I know that that's a very, that could be regarded as a very basic statement, but we don't need to move on too quickly from that because I think, you know, there's a pretty famous saying, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. That's really not a notion that I put a lot of stock in, that because the gospel is itself a message, it is news, it has to be spoken. You know, faith comes from hearing. And Mm -hmm. so it's really important for us to get it right, that we need to know what this message is. And something else that you said, and we didn't even prep, this is awesome. When I try to describe the gospel, it's God's message of good news concerning his son, Jesus, who he is, what he has done, what he is doing, what he will do, and how we can be a part of it. So the gospel, it's God's message. It's about Jesus. And it's much bigger than uh, a lot of us might realize. And so when I think about modern Christianity, Mm -hmm. I think one of the big problems we're up against is ignorance. We just don't know the message, you know, the Mm -hmm. message that we believe. And then secondly, we've got all of these truncated versions of the gospel, which I would Mm. almost say are cartoon versions of the Mm. gospel. And part of what we're running into with society and with our culture is that they can sniff that out. That version Mm. of the gospel that we're offering, it isn't the power of God for salvation. And I know that we're going to get a chance to talk a little bit about that. All right. Do you want to expound a little bit when you say truncated? I think that's a really right word. I'm just curious on what you mean by that. Right. So uh, when we think about what is the gospel, uh, a lot of people would 
would deal with, they would go to 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised from the dead on the mm -hmm. third day, according to the scriptures. And they would say, that is the gospel. Or they'll use a very basic gospel presentation, something like the four spiritual mm -hmm. laws or the bridge to life illustration. And they'll say, yep. that's the gospel. And the gospel is, that is a piece of the gospel, hopefully, if we're communicating it right. But the gospel is bigger than that. And so truncated just means that we've taken something that's large and glorious and we've squeezed it down into this really small bite size piece. But then we say, and this is it. This is the gospel. When in reality, it could be an introduction to the gospel. And so that's, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm coming from. Right. What, uh, what would you add to that, Gijo? No, I think it's right on. I think the thing that I would say is most helpful is when you said it's news. And by the way, I probably should have said it. it's the greatest news of all, right? Like uh, right. understood. But the news has to be understood <laughs> in the context of the greatest story of all. And so I would say that the gospel story is the context for the great news of the gospel. And so those tools or those things that we can point to really is, in a sense, the apex and the, the climax of the story in a lot of ways, you can say, but it's only really understood most clearly and most in a way that's really helpful when we understand the, the storyline of the gospel. That it, you know, for many of us, when we started talking gospel, and when I grew up, the first thing that came out of my mouth, if you said, what's the gospel? It's like, well, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So it started with sin and our part, but the gospel story doesn't really start there. It starts uh, earlier in that there was a God who created, that God was always prior, and he was the creator and we are his creation. And so we begin to learn from the front end that the gospel story is about a creator God and his creation. And then in the light of that, all things being good and whole and put together and there being a, uh, an incredible amounts of peace and rightness, the shalom between us and God, us and other mankind, us and the world, and even us and ourselves, the brokenness entered into the story. And so we have a devastation <laughs> in us and God and us and others and us in the world and us and ourselves. I mean, that's why right. counseling is incredibly uh, relevant for today because so many folks are beginning to see and experience the brokenness just between you and yourself. And so anyway, th th <laughs> those are just thoughts that I would, I would say that, you know, as we begin to share the gospel, it's so fun to get to share not starting with you have sinned and you fall short of glory of God, but you must get there. But before you get there, it's so important that we go, hey, there is a creator God and he's created us for good. And good was what he had in mind and great and beauty and all the things that you enjoy. What is that comes from? That comes from you being made in the Imago Dei, in the image of God. And so, so I think that for many folks, when you begin to start there, it does make sense of the brokenness in all of life because it's brokenness of life is not something that you have to convince people of. But when you start there, I do think that there begins to be, a, I guess, a little bit of a, I'm going to date myself here, but remember the movie uh, Major Pain? It says, basically, in essence, in a funny scene to a little boy, he's like, what's your angle, boy? You know, like, so many of us, when we come in, <laughs> With this message, it's, you know, people initially kind of say, what's your angle? And right. so we kind of hmm. lose the message before we can even get started. So just a quick thought. That's great, man. I think one of the things that really got me wrestling with the gospel, I wish I could say early on, but I'd probably been following Jesus for, for 10 plus years and hmm. actively sharing the faith. And I really was wrestling with that the word gospel actually means good news. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, this message that I'm sharing, I don't know that it sounds that good. I mean, you know, like mm. it, it should be, it should be good. And yeah. certainly 
only, or, or the way I'm sharing it, I haven't figured out how to share it in a way that other people would hear it and say, yeah, that's, that's really good news. And so some of that is because I think what you were saying, we don't have the larger uh, framework that this gospel message is, is speaking to. We don't have a good sense for the bad news, and therefore the good news doesn't necessarily strike us the way that it should. I think that's part of it. I, we're going to talk some more about just the, the content of the gospel itself, and I would also tell Great. people that uh, check back on this video later. We'll fill out the show notes, and there's going to be some resources that we have for people where you can really begin to dig and fill out your understanding of the gospel, because the first thing that needs to happen is that we each need to expand our understanding of the gospel so that it actually matches what we see in scripture. Mm -hmm. And then part two is from there, we need to learn how to reduce it down to the place where we can communicate it in regular conversations in a way that makes sense. But if we don't do that two-step process, then it's going to be really hard for us to share this good news in a way that makes sense to people. But, mm -hmm. but Gijo, I think some of the stuff that I was most excited about having you on to talk about is what we're going to move into next, which is the shifts that we need to make in 2019 when it comes to sharing the gospel in a way that makes sense to our current modern generation. So you and Amy gave a talk Again, I'll have that in the notes, but you talked about eight shifts. We're not going to cover all eight of those, but one Good, of those I that, can't remember them all. <laughs> <laughs> one of those that I, I, there were two or three that I really wanted to touch on tonight. So let's start with this first one, this idea of moving from an understanding where that we have a prepared audience to the understanding that we're dealing with an unprepared audience for our message. Can you talk a little bit more about what you mean by that? Sure. So we talked a little bit at this message that Andrew's talking about, just our experience when we came out from the Bible Belt, a place that has a, a better understanding, a greater framework for kind of a moralistic right and wrong, just even believing in a deity into a place that there are a lot of questions and a lot of a lack of presuppositions going into conversations. And so what became really useless to us was this language of unchurched and church or even de-churched because everyone was unchurched. And what we began to realize is that there really was a better paradigm or a better language was who was really prepared to begin to have have a deeper understanding of the gospel and who is unprepared that we really need to build out the framework that we just mentioned. And so we started using this idea of prepared and unprepared. Is that person a prepared? Like he has some sort of spiritual background. He grew up in a Catholic church. He grew up in a Protestant church. He or she had some young life or a ministry background. Uh, they had a family member who was a believer. Then you begin to understand, okay, they have some understanding of God and creation to really begin to talk about the gospel. And so that was a helpful paradigm. And when you begin to realize, oh, this person is really unprepared, to begin with the gospel or even just the story of God, uh, what was lacking was probably two key words, and that is credibility to this message and then also relevance. Like credibility meaning, like, are you credible and are the things that you're saying credible? And then the second <laughs> would be relevance, meaning is what you're saying have anything to do with where I'm living? And if not, then why are you saying it to me. And we know that the gospel and the good news of Jesus has incredible relevance, but for, to take a little bit of time to kind of help people navigate those realities served us better than just jumping in with, do you know why Jesus came and died for your sins? You know, like we didn't find that that went anywhere far or fast. So that was, that was a helpful shift in our mind to just start thinking, okay, everyone's prepared and I just share the gospel. And we had meetings where we would have people come together and it was like, we just got to get the gospel out there. And we got the gospel out there 
and it didn't do anything because people were very unprepared. And it was like, it really was tilling the soil, if you would, for the planting of the gospel. And to use Paul's imagery in First Corinthians, when he says, I planted, Paul's watered. There's this work that takes to, to till the soil. And you began, if you look at Acts 17, where Paul is speaking in Athens, I believe, where he just simply walks around and he makes lots of observations and he takes in their culture and he really understands it. And then he speaks with incredible amounts of poignancy using their cultural you know, <laughs> backdrop as the entryway into the relevance and the credibility of both him and, and the message that he was bringing. So that, that was a helpful shift in our mind. And even just having language to it really helped us go, ah, this person is, it's helpful to, to have a, a, a starting point, at least understanding where they're coming from. And then we began to help develop tracks out for people that are prepared versus unprepared. And that was a good training ground for our staff. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think that's one of the things that we need to really take ownership of for those of us who are following Jesus today, for those of us who are trying to represent him today, is this notion that we can't just do business as usual. Because again, what worked for Billy Graham in the 50s, 60s, and even into the 70s and 80s, we need to understand that the ground has shifted in some some massive ways in terms of how this generation thinks about life and the framework that they're living in and just kind of throwing the same words at them and right. using the same tools. Probably it's just that there's a law of diminishing returns there and it's not on them. It's on us. I love the example of Paul taking the time to walk. He spent a day walking around the city of Athens and just making observations. And then he tried to explain the gospel in a way that he hoped would make sense to the people who, who live there. So you mentioned something about you, you guys developed some tracks, some training tracks, how to share with folks who were not prepared. Do you uh, have a few things that you could share with us about what that was yeah. all about? Sure. Just a reminder, we're on the college campus. And so we, one of the first things we did when we began to realize this person is a little bit more prepared was that we felt if they had some context, some some backdrop that was Christian or even broadly Christian or even broadly religious, we would be quicker to invite them to things like church, to Bible study, to different events, just because we had something in common at some level of understanding. And if they were unprepared, then we really would be quick to just invite them more uh, relationally to just get to know us. Like, hey, we should keep playing basketball or let's grab a bite or just coffee at some point. Love for you to, you know, like come out with us. We're just going out to hang out and do some fun stuff. Like rather than really intentionally inviting them to uh, spiritual or Christian events. The other thing that we did was that we, we tried to uh, ask really good questions based on where they were coming in. And so questions about their backdrop and their understanding and even just issues of, we created a tool called the Real Talk, which is a Bible study. Not, I'm sorry, it's not a Bible study. It's pre-evangelistic Bible study, even though we never ever used the term pre-evangelism or Bible study. We just called it Real Talk. And it was an opportunity for friend groups to get together and to connect, to build community to talk about relevant topics that were really kind of where those students were living. So, you know, what, one of the topics was simply, why do we love hot chicks <laughs> but hate the drama? Now, that's not a conversation I'm having regularly, but with these folks, you couldn't stop them from talking about that. And I juxtapose that idea of them talking about something that is so relevant to them versus if I had simply said to them, we're coming to a Bible study, they would come in and go, I have no idea what a Bible study is. I'm a little uncomfortable. I have no idea what they're going to say. So people would hold back 
not say anything. These things mm -hmm. called real talks would be you couldn't stop the conversation mm -hmm. because we kind of coined the term real talks because you really there was two rules that we said every week. And that is the two rules of real talk is you have to be real and you have to talk. And so it became more of a conversational and became very communal <laughs> for our fraternity friends. It's the tool that they actually started getting us to come in and share with their their brotherhood, all their, their new pledges to build community. And because they didn't know how to build community outside of uh, substances and, you know, immoral <laughs> gatherings where women are objectified and substances are absolutely uh, abused. So that was a, that's a couple of examples quickly of tools and tracks that we began to kind of think through. We con we're continuing to think through, to be quite honest with you, six years in, these are still the things we think about. We haven't cornered the truth or understanding on evangelism out here. We've just positioned ourselves as learners because there's so much to learn. And by the way, there's so much beauty to behold in the image of God in these people. So it's been so fun to meet and get to know and befriend and, and just love people that God has created in his image. And hopefully what they will come to faith. Yeah, this is, um, I think this is one of those shifts that we need to make. And again, if you go back and you read the biography of Charles G. Finney, a lot of how we think about evangelism today is driven by a man that most people haven't heard of. Charles G. Finney was trained as a lawyer and later he became an evangelist. And his style was to make an argument, make a presentation, and then get the decision. Very interesting. The, even, even when we think about this word, making a decision for Christ, that's not language you read in the New Testament. That's language yeah. that has come down to us in the past 150 years. And so when we think about successfully engaging in evangelism, we think about uh, articulating a certain set of facts, making our argument in a very legal sort of way, and then getting people to agree with us, to, to basically make a decision where, yes, that argument is the best one. And I love that focus that, that you just shared on, one, asking questions, asking yes. questions and listening, where is this person at? Uh, and then also being aware of topics that people are already wrestling with and hopefully having those become segues for a conversation about Christ, but being willing to engage in them even if they don't have an immediate connection to, to Jesus, which is kind of where I want to go next. And we'll actually kind of wrap up with okay. this. We probably won't get to, we probably won't get around to helping people respond, but okay. I'll have some resources in the notes that people could do some more digging on their own. I also want to let folks know who are watching right now, we are going to do some Q&A here in a little over okay. five minutes. So if there are some questions that you have about this topic of recovering the gospel or something that G. Joe has mentioned that you'd like to ask him to talk a little bit more about, go ahead and start entering those into the comments so that we have them queued up so that when we uh, shift into some Q&A, we can hit the ground running. So one of the shifts that you and Amy talked about was, and this is a big word, it's not one that I use very often, but the importance of exegeting the culture as well as the scripture. And you kind of talked about that a little bit, both with Paul in Athens, and then also some of what you guys have been wrestling with on the campus. So can you talk a little bit more about what, why it's important to not just exegete scripture, but exegete culture when it comes to evangelism? Sure. As I shared earlier, I think every, the gospel comes within a culture, within a language. And the good news in that is that even in Acts, I believe it's 26, where Paul is speaking of his own conversion, when he speaks of his conversion, it says in one verse that he heard in a loud voice, uh, the voice of Jesus speaking in the Hebrew, in his native tongue, the Hebrew dialect, I believe it was. And in that, what was beautiful about that was that this was Paul's language of origin. And so when God speaks, thankfully, he speaks directly to the heart, the mind, and the soul. To So bluntly put, to a surfer, he speaks in a way that a surfer can, can understand. To an intellect, he speaks in a way that an intellect can understand, hmm. um, so on and so forth. So 
even as we're doing this, recognizing that there is a supernatural dynamic, it's not just all uh, strategic, but it is so important for us to understand the culture and the storyline that people have. And so I talk about it in light of kind of three stories. The, the top story being a person's story. And so if you begin to understand, like many people at San Diego State, they're first generation kids, students, and, and they're most of them are, are uh, I'm sorry, many of them are the first generation go to college and to actually be a, you know, in the university setting. And so to, just to understand their story, their personal story is so critical. But then when you begin to understand their cultural story, if they've grown up in, in a family that really did push academics, or if they grew up in, in a more blue collar home or white collar home, to understand a person's kind of narrative is so, so important. And we all have that. Like if you grow up in the South, there's a cultural narrative that's somewhat popular. We began to understand that for San Diego State students, they just always talked about fun, 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 fun. And so we started saying simply campus outreach or ministry that is serious about Jesus and it's serious about having fun. And because both were very true. Now it's a different type of fun that they were probably looking for, but they, they also understood that. So culturally to understand the person's story, the cultural story that they're in, but then helping understand those two stories help us get to the third story, which is the gospel story. And so every true story has a beautiful beginning, you know, a conundrum of sorts, redemptive dynamic, and then the conclusion. And so you see that their story has that and their personal story as well as, as their cultural stories. There's things about the gospel story on the lowest level that can reshape what you thought to always be the case. And, and this is where counselors are so incredibly helpful when they're able to kind of take your story and go, you know, you thought this was a certain way, or if you think about Joseph from the Bible, the Holy Spirit was moving in such a way that gospel story was rewriting his story. You know, you meant this for evil, for God meant it for good, you know, was his a counseling moment, you know, where, so you got to exegete the culture in order to understand how to best bring the gospel and the good news in. So that'd be my, I don't know if that was what you were hoping for there, but I just realized they're probably going a little bit long, but there's a whole lot more there that we can talk about. It's so important that we exegete both. Yeah. Say again the three stories that we need to be aware of. Okay. So a, a personal story, the cultural story that they find themselves in. If you grew up in uh, the Middle East, that's a cultural story. If you grew up in the Bible Belt, if you grew up as a Southern California kid from you know Chula Vista, there's a cultural story, family story, if you would. So personal, family, and then the gospel story. And that's just the way we think about it. There's not. It's more of an art than a science. But when you begin to understand a person's story and even the cultural story of, of what people believe, then whether we realize it or not, those stories are shaping us. And so when you get to share the gospel story that there was actually a God who created you, and that means he doesn't just love you, but he likes you. You know, like there was a part of our story that's really shaped us, that when brokenness entered the world, it broke, it brought around a devastation. And, and so this is why you have struggles with your family. This is why bad things happen to you. This is why Christians call sin, sin, so on and so forth. So, so all those stories, I mean, stories shape us. But uh, when we begin to understand the ultimate story, the true story, the greatest story that is underneath and above all other story, it really helps us to really reshape and re-understand our story in light of the true story and what God could be doing. And uh, there's a redemptive uh, character who's coming to redeem you and to love you and to bring you back into his fold. So so those are the three layers. Yeah, that we think. I think that could almost be one of these shifts um, is shifting from thinking of the gospel merely as a set of statements of truth, of statements 
statements of belief and beginning to think of it also, and maybe even primarily as a story, um, a story that God has been telling from the very beginning, a story that we now all find ourselves in. But again, we're all coming from a different place. And so understanding that the person that I'm engaging with at any given time, there's a whole history there. And if I'm going to effectively share this story that that God has made me a part of with the gospel, Mm -hmm. with this other person, then I, I need to have a sense of where they're at and where the merge points might be between mm. their reality and God's truth. Well, I know we, um, we've we got one question that just came through here from uh, Nate Curtis. And again, I would just encourage others who are watching right now, if you have some questions, we're going to do some Q&A here over the next few minutes. We probably only have ch- time to take a couple, but let me okay. just go ahead and grab this one from Nate. He says, what is the objective or the desired end state of real talk? It, yes, is, great it, is it conversion, progression, something else? And how long do people tend to attend these real talks before specific gospel conversations happen? The intent purpose is really, it's pre-evangelistic. And at the end, we do bring in a verse. So we do say one word that's of, of the point of relevance and how God might actually have something to say to us in this. So in essence, the point is just simply to lay out that Jesus and God actually has something to offer you in the world that you live in. He actually has, he has good in store for you. He has right thinking that the, the, the word, the best word is relevance. And the, the goal is to kind of lay out out that there is some relevance and there's an opportunity to, to to take further steps. Now, these real talks happen in the context of relationship. My staff are really connected to these fraternities. They serve these fraternities. They help out. So there's a lot of follow-up opportunities that are kind of intrinsically built in. But we're just simply saying, you know, right now that it's pre-evangelism and it just, it kind of whets their appetite to hear more and to learn more. And then we invite them to other things. And it's a longer process. So uh, it's not just a uh, quick, at the end of that, Sharon Andrew, are you guys ready to make a a decision for Jesus? That's not where we go at all. We just kind of lay one little nugget of truth that's so helpful that kind of makes people go, wow, I didn't think that God and Jesus had anything to do with my friendships or my purpose, my meaning in life or uh, relationships or alcohol, whatever. You know, one thing I would just um, caveat that with is I've really come to understand the gospel. Yes, it re- it reveals to us um, the purpose of God and the plan of God for salvation, but the gospel is really centered around the person of God's yes. son, Jesus. And so when we're sharing with people, even when we're thinking about conversion, what we're really thinking about is helping someone come to recognize who Jesus is and then yes. helping them come to a place where they're actually connected to him. And that really is what conversion is, putting your faith in Christ and then coming to a place where you belong to him and you're seeking to live for him. We're probably going to need to wrap it up with that. Alex, I I see your question here about wanting to give a practical example of emphasizing shame before guilt. What I would say is there'll be an audio that I put in the description. It's actually the audio of G. Joe and his wife, Amy, um, giving, it's a pretty short audio. It's 30 minutes, but they actually do give quite, quite a few stories in there that talk about how they've tried to implement these shifts, not just in theory, but in the real world. I'll give one more resource. In December, I preached through a series 
at Harbor City Church. And I think the third message was on shame and the soul. Mm -hmm. And so that could be also a helpful resource. And if you get, yeah. if you get that to me, G. Joe, I'll put that in the links. And then folks, there'll be probably five or six resources that I'll have there linked to uh, in the description of this particular video so that you guys can, can dig a little further. But this is a good one. We probably actually need to do a part two, G. Joe. So maybe awesome. we'll maybe we'll do one sometime in the coming months because I know there's a lot that we didn't get to that that I wanted to and I know you've got a lot more to, to share but we are trying to keep these under an hour so I'm going to go ahead and bring things to a close here. I've done this the last few times but I want to encourage you if you're listening to this video uh, get connected with us on our email list because that's the best way to make sure you're in the loop on all the stuff that we've got coming down so you can find that over on our website intotheharvest.org slash subscribe. If you sign up there then we'll send you emails on a regular basis with great resources and content for how to live out your faith in the everyday places of life. But G. Joe, I really appreciate you joining me tonight. This was a great time, brother. Yeah, same here, buddy. Thank you so much. This is fun. All right, guys. Hey, one last thing, G. Joe, if people want uh, to connect with you further, what's the best way for them to uh, to get in touch with you? I, uh, you can go ahead. Just be... give them my email or Facebook, I guess. Facebook or email okay. would be fine. Yeah. Obviously, he's on Facebook here. So if you want to try to connect with him here on Facebook and send him a direct message, that might be the easiest way. If you've got other questions, and we'll try to also respond to questions that are in the comments section that we didn't get a chance to discuss uh, yeah. in depth. So, no all right, guys, 